This episode is brought to you by Horizon Books, serving Seattle's book-loving community for 48 years with one of the best-used book collections in the Pacific Northwest. Check out Horizon Books in Capitol Hill and mention UpZones at the register for a 10% discount today. That's right. Check out Horizon Books in Capitol Hill, mention UpZones, and get a 10% discount at the register today and for the rest of 2018. Your sponsor is Horizon Books, and this is UpZones. You have to elect yourself, Jamie. Things are changing. Things are changing. You can't say it, but you know it's true. You elect yourself. Things are changing. You elect yourself. You elect yourself. On Wednesday of this past week, in a move that will have very likely zero to little impact on the long-term futures of the city, Christopher Rufo, a so-called and self-described centrist of, quote, economically fiscal and social liberal leanings, who also happens to have a loose, shadowy network of connections to right-wing and deeply intolerant groups across the city, dropped his campaign for city council. Again, as a news item that has very little bearing on the future of our city since he was never going to win against the highly popular Mike O'Brien, I normally wouldn't bring this to the attention of the listeners, but what I found interesting was that Rufo cited, and I'm putting quotes around this because the stranger did, non-stop online harassment and threats to his wife and kids. Now, when journalists double-clicked on what exactly non-stop meant... Rufo was quick to respond that somewhere between 10 and 20 people yelled at him online uh, in his public communication announcing that he was withdrawing his campaign, which had, interestingly, an average donation of over $500 per donor. Something, if you ever want to know exactly where someone's coming from, follow the money. It feels like a pretty high number. But uh, when he withdrew, he said between 10 and 20 people had harassed him and He said it was a result of the city's culture of, and again, I'm quoting, activists. Uh, The liberal left in Seattle, he said, are the real fascists. And while I'm sure that receiving 10 to 20 angry emails, posts, and Facebook threads must be quite scary, I can tell you as probably C or D list participant in the civic life of the city, I received more negative response from that simply in a letter to the editor I wrote to the stranger during the height of the mayoral campaign last year. I think this is important because we're in a place in our country right now, and certainly that trickles down to our city, where I think we're getting something wrong. I think we're kind of misunderstanding, just collectively, what the difference between passion and debate is. And anyone who listens to my show knows that I I do not advocate for blind, um, I'll say partisanship, but but I don't mean to a political party, uh, blind ideological uh, warfare. I do have some problems with activists and officials in the city who don't understand that progress is incremental and that a little is better than none. And that nine times out of 10, uh, most people are just trying to do a good job and they're trying to get things done. And I don't support online harassment, having been online harassed. But I think where we are as a country, as as a city, is if we don't 
really do some deep introspection and and real deep thought about what harassment really is. Is it harassment to tell someone they're wrong? Is it harassment when a candidate who's, uh, and, and I'm going to quote again, whose manifesto when he announced his candidacy went something like, there's a deep ideological war currently being won by a loose alliance of four major power centers. Sound conspiratorial to you at all? Those power centers are the socialist revolutionaries, because we have one socialist on the city council, the compassion brigades, the homeless industrial complex. I wasn't aware there was an industrial complex for homelessness and the addiction evangelists, addiction evangelists. That's, that's what's causing the homelessness in our city, apparently. Socialists' compassion, a for-profit industry, which is what an industrial complex is by definition, and addiction evangelists. This is Christopher Rufo's manifesto. When you write things like that, Mr. Rufo, you invite impassioned debate and you invite responses. And sometimes you invite anger. And if 10 to 20 responses online is so much that you don't think you can serve this city and the constituents of Seattle, then you're probably not the guy for the job. You'll hear me say this many times on this podcast. I don't think snowflakes should run for office. If you don't like the way you've been covered, welcome to being an elected official. And that goes all the way from the Republican Party to the People's Party and everything in between, and it's not ideological. If your social media feed is more about you complaining about how the media covers you, you probably weren't set out to be a, an elected official in this city. And when your platform is largely hate for people less fortunate than you, don't expect any sympathy from my quarter. Anyway, our guest, Owen Pickford, is a pretty smart dude. You might have read his work over at The Urbanist or, um, you know, frankly, read any of the work over at The Urbanist, and he's a major part of making it happen. I found he was really refreshing because, um, I, I, like so many of the guests I've tried to have on, he doesn't have a blind ideological lens to the work that he's doing. He just thinks we should get denser. He thinks, it, nay, knows and understands, based on science, that it's better for the planet, better for the city, better for the public policies here. And uh, he's doing everything he can to increase access to transit, access to housing, and really just education and good, solid writing over at The Urbanist around how this city can uh, urbanize and do better. So, yeah, just give him a listen and um, get involved if you like what he has to say. Yeah, so where'd you grow up? Uh, so I grew up in Ohio. Grew up in a little town with 150 people in it. Uh, about an hour north of Columbus. Okay. Cleveland? Where, uh, no, 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 I'm just yeah, kidding. Yeah, <laughs> like halfway in between, basically. Okay. What's the name of the town? Chesterville. Oh, okay. It's got a very small town name. Yeah. Well, if you, <laughs> you ever look, all those Ohio cities are, have C's. Yeah. All of them. Seriously. Yeah. Yeah, very very true. Yeah. It's weird. So that was like a very different experience than... Uh, yeah. Uh, basically uh, 16 years of my life or something like that in Ohio in a rural community. And then I... Uh, uh, Decided that I wanted to get the heck out of there yeah. and was thinking about going to college, decided not to for about a year and uh, just did a bunch of random stuff for a year and then went to school in uh, Madison, Wisconsin. That's the first time that I lived in the city. 
mm-hmm. like a real city. Yeah, and that's not even. Oh, that's like actually a pretty it's big town. Small, right? yeah. It's like two fifty. Yeah, a couple hundred k for yeah. the metro area. Yeah. Is, oh, yeah, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So I mean, that's just. I, so I come from New York. Okay. Yeah, and in and out. <laughs> not, not in New York City all the time, but parts of my life, and it's just uh-huh. a very different. Oh yeah. This is a kind of a downshift. I've been here a long time now, but this this was a downshift, you know. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. So did you? Were you born in New York? Or? Yeah, I was. Uh-huh. I, I born in and then raised until college really in or a right kind of right around the okay. new york city yeah that's cool and a suburb you know new york su- suburb might be as dense as fremont yeah exactly you know so it's yeah, a very yeah. different kind of a vibe definitely yeah um, and you uh wanted to move or well you know co- college and you know you, you go leave town and then you, i got involved in in politics i was a political journalist and then i and then i left journalism got into actually okay. political campaigns for a while. So you get sucked down to DC and yeah, for sure. one thing kind of leads to another and you're just, you're almost 30 and you've been, I haven't, I, I now I'm post 30 live here now. Haven't looked back, you know, I've never yeah. moved back actually. Haven't thought about it. I, there's a part of me that would love to live in Brooklyn. Yeah. Um, but Brooklyn as it was, I don't, I'm not one of these crazy gentrification hipsters, but like I, I do, Places change. I, places change. Exactly. Yeah. And I remember how it was and I loved that place, yeah, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, and then you come here and one of the things you really observe really rapidly is people just have very different, there are these kind of subtle social things. Like you don't stand on the left of an escalator <laughs> in New York. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't do that. And yeah. if you try, you'll get an earful, right? Absolutely. Here, there's a lot of left standers, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know. I, I guess that, but this was, so was this the first, like, legit, quote, unquote, legit city that you lived uh, in? Or? No. So, I finished school, and I uh, really wanted to live abroad, and I didn't do it in college because I just thought it would be too expensive, Yeah, basically. same. Yeah. And so I uh, worked for a while, saved up some money, and was able to qualify for like a visa program to live in uh, the UK. So I moved to London, uh, lived there for almost three years, uh, looked for a job, did a bunch of random stuff, uh, some weird stuff too. And then uh, lived in India for a year in Mumbai. Mumbai. Yeah. That's which a city. Is giant. Yeah. That's a city. Wow. It's a different kind of city too. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's got more sprawl, I think, to it, right? It's, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's, yeah, it's completely different. So it, which, which experience was, do you look back on more fondly? Def, well, I have a lot of appreciation for having lived in Mumbai and the experiences I had, but I would never move back to live it there. Yeah. And I, and I actually loved London. I think London is one of the most livable cities in the world. I think it's really awesome. What'd you get up to? I mean, you were just kind of odd jobs by day, hitting the pub at night, probably 20, (laughs) what, 23? I was pretty young, yeah. 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 Uh, So there was a lot of drinking at that age, definitely. (laughs) Um, I was, for a long time, working in catering, uh, which was like a temp job. So they'd like call you up and they'd be like, we need someone at this place at this time. And you'd go and occasionally you'd show up and they always overbooked. So they'd be like, we don't have a spot for you. And then you'd go home. Whoa. And I was basically like uh, spending down the savings that I had worked to move there. To move there, yeah. Slowly spending down the savings. Uh, and I randomly got connected to this guy who wanted to do a tech startup and uh, thought I would be good for market research because my degree was in history. So he thought I'd have no problem doing boring research work, do market research. <laughs> That's the first I've ever heard of that line of, of yeah. approach. 
Yeah, so I I don't know if that was the right choice from in in the long <laughs> run, but he but he hired me, and uh, that turned into basically I was the first employee of the company, and uh, worked sort of build it from scratch. Moved to India uh, to build a tech office in India, and hired uh, developers engineers in India t- to build the product, and eventually. We built it, and we didn't sell anything, and the company went under, and did, I didn't have a job, so I went back to the U.S. It's, it's a classic <laughs> story. Yeah. So you were you were kind of like an office manager or something. I was way. doing uh, product management, so I wrote like the non-technical uh, requirements for what the product should be. Okay, and you were over there because it just made more sense to have you. Kind yeah. Of, yeah, and I volunteered, and I was like, I'll move. I'll go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. India for sure. Yeah. That's probably better. I, having worked with some engineers myself, it's probably better to be in, <laughs> in the same space. Yeah, it definitely is. Right yeah, on. Definitely. Well, that's really cool. And so when you were over there, I mean, I, I've never been to Mumbai. I have been lucky enough to get to Delhi, which is also just another massive, there's a lot of sprawl. It is. Yeah. There's a lot of history there, though. I don't know. Does Mumbai have that same kind of, like, just centuries of history? I mean, it has centuries of history, but it's not known as a tourist spot as much in mm-hmm. that way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's been settled. It was settled a long, long time ago, so it has a ton of that history, but not as much uh, tourism in that. Yeah, sense. not the architecture necessarily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. got you, got exactly. you. It's not yeah. close to the uh, Angarvad, or no, I mean, uh, uh, what's the um, the big gorgeous? Uh, yeah, Taj Mahal. Taj Mahal. Yeah yeah, 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 exactly. Well, that's great. And so then you came back. You came hereabouts so i moved back to the u.s and i spent about six months hunting for a job and i ended up taking a job in austin texas and i lived there for about three years and then oh, i moved so to seattle you've got now coming out of what chesterville yeah <laughs> you've got a few cities under one you've belt. got a few under your belly that's <laughs> awesome austin's a, a great town too yeah, yeah austin's cool it wasn't my city it, i didn't want to stay there but i definitely know why people love it yeah yeah what turned you off uh so i i i was pretty committed to not owning a car in Austin. I was broke when I moved and I, it was, it would have been expensive to buy a car for a variety of other reasons. I didn't want to own a car and it's not a city that you can live in without a car, like not comfortably. So I moved there and I didn't really know anyone. Uh, so, you know, you meet people through work or through these other chance encounters while they live all over the place. So you're not going to like, be able to go do a random thing in the evening with them, like go grab beers or something. Because you don't have a car. Yeah, you don't have yeah. a car. Yeah. I mean, Seattle makes it hard enough, too. Seattle's, yeah, it's difficult, and it's surprisingly good for a U.S. city, but it's still way more difficult than big cities. Yeah. Non-L.A. version. Yeah, so in a lot of ways, I, I, I would describe it as sort of like socially alienating. Like that's the, the, the built environment made the city socially alienated. You mean Austin specifically or LA? Or uh, just Austin. Austin. Yeah. Austin. You know, I, I it's funny, more and more we learn that wh- whether you uh, gosh, listen to business podcasts or read up on the latest state of civic uh, or you know, uh, urban planning or you know, or anything in between or psychology, alienation and lack of personal interaction is the root of so many issues and so oh, many yeah. problems. And, and and you can, this is not some kind of namby-pamby thing because there's a, there's a very kind of conservative flip side to it, which is when you're not uh, part of a community, you don't have accountability. Yeah. And when you don't have accountability, you know, you don't perform. Yeah. Right. So it's yeah. not, it does, it's not just some kind of like a, uh, yeah, a hippy dippy thing. And, and, and I've noticed that when you design a space 
to bring people together, there are um, sort of negative impacts around what people have to kind of put up with on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. But, but, yeah. but is that so bad? <laughs> is that so bad that people have to yeah. tolerate each other, you know? Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't choose otherwise. Yeah. 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 It depends on who you ask, I'm sure. But yeah. So what part of Seattle are you living in? I'm living in Capitol Hill right Capitol. now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah me, too. me too. It's nice. I mean, it is expensive, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. So that's that to me is the big flip side. Right. So you end up with a so you can have cities where uh, that are desirable and people want to be there. And that that makes them expensive. That's a, that's kind of the desirability right. makes things expensive, especially when you have like a major housing shortage. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. So tell me a little bit about what you guys are doing. Right. So uh, you you probably know about me through The Urbanist and mm-hmm. we're basically doing advocacy journalism. And the goal is to help uh, educate people about what makes good urbanism and uh, become advocates, help people become advocates for a better city themselves. And, and well, so define better, right? So, yeah. so better, that's a, boy, uh, that's a political yeah. term in it. I, and, and I think as a group, uh, there's things that we would disagree on. You know, the people who are involved might disagree on. Uh, but general principles, you know, I think that we all agree that transportation infrastructure where we put cars first is a failure. Like we won't get the city that we want. It's an empirical failure. Yeah. 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 Uh, and that it's incredibly important to have diverse housing uh, typologies and options uh and density is a critical element for making a, a, a livable city. We're in a good city. Yeah, yeah a livable city. Yeah. I know, you know one of my favorite places in the world, and I have been lucky later on here in my life to travel. I'm, I'm like you. I never left the country till I was in my 20s. Mm-hmm. And But I, I one of my favorite places was was Barcelona. And I one love of the, Barcelona, yeah. One of the things I you notice almost immediately, no matter where you go, is that there's still so much beautiful open space, but the buildings are tall yeah. and they're kind of right up on the sidewalk and they're, you know, none of this uh, birthday cake or wedding cake or whatever. And, and, and uh, it, it just creates each street is like a little room, you know, yeah. it's like a little, it's like a little ballroom that you can kind of just play in. And uh, it, th- there's this idea that really urbanizing would like take away from the character. Mm-hmm. And I just think of Barcelona and Paris and, London, right? Yeah, yeah. God, like, if those three cities don't have character, what city, what, what is character? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh. I think when people talk about fear of growth or density, they, if, if you're, if, if you grew up in the U.S., you think about U.S. cities and there's really big problems with bigger U.S. cities that I understand why people don't want to repeat them, but nobody's thinking about Barcelona or Paris when they make comments like that. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, so let's build Barcelona. Yeah. Let's build Barcelona. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm curious. So there's this concept of market urbanism, right? Which is its own offshoot. And, and, and there's a, there's a theoretical, it's very alluring theoretically. Right. And I'm also for reducing just to play my cards, reducing the burdens to build and everything. But there's this thing that happens and I think it's why you get some unexpected resistance to urbanization from, uh, you know, parts of the left, for example, mm-hmm. that would, you would generally want that. 
where the the theoretical or you know benefits of urbanization always seem to show up in poor neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, they're yeah. going to they're going to build that new supply of housing but it's going to displace you poor person, yeah. not it's not going to go next door to the to the rich person. I mean, how how do you guys think about that uh tension between build more, less restrictions but also like don't just screw over people that already don't have much. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that I can't speak for everyone mm-hmm. at the urbanists, of course, or everyone in general. Uh, why are you here, man? No. Yeah, why am I here? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> yeah. I, and part of the reason why I can't speak for everyone is because I think we're having these conversations to create uh, a bigger consensus, a consensus among a wider group of people about what we think is true. Uh, and so having the conversations helps uh, create more consensus, definitely. And I have pretty strong opinions about this that I think diverge uh, pr- pretty frequently with a lot of other people. But basically, I think the debate about the concern that comes from the left about um, gentrification or uh, the sort of negative impacts of development are concerns that go back uh, centuries. So in it's not a new debate that's happening here in Seattle. It's a debate that's happened always. And it's a question of who are cities built for. So, and you could say cities, but you could narrow that down to neighborhoods or blocks. Like who is this block for? And cities have an inherent contradiction with change. When change happens, um, things can be good on a macro level and bad on a micro level. Uh, so you can see changes in your neighborhood that make a city better for everyone, but make it worse for your neighborhood. And, you know, I think that suburbanites would make a strong argument that building highways into the middle of the city is good for them. And people whose neighborhoods were bulldozed over to build those highways would say that they were bad. And so when you talk about development and you talk about concerns from the left about development, what you're really talking about is who you know who who benefits from Mm -hmm. policy x right and i think there's real legitimate concerns about that about any about any city policy who who benefits from that city policy so i think it's important to be understanding of the left's argument about that because it's grounded in history and experience and it's not just history in seattle it's everywhere i mean this is a debate that's been going on for ages about who has the right to the city. That's a, that's a term that people use, right? Right to the city. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. And there's a very fine line, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you, you'll get, you'll get someone like a, like a Roger Valdez who says, you know, the, the fear you have about displacement is akin to the fear that Trump supporters have about immigrants, right? And that's mm-hmm. at one end. And then, but then you'll get like a Laura Lowe who says like, why do the poor and brown folks always have to be the ones where the, the, the development happens and where we're sort of lecturing and saying like, well, you can't stop development that drives up housing. And so there's this weird tension that at some point there's gotta be a, there's gotta be some kind of consensus in the middle. Right. And I don't mean left, right, middle. I just mean in the middle of those two poles of thought around what is the what is it that the more well-heeled members of the community can give to the community to allow for that kind of development to happen? I mean, if uh, so, it seems like you're kind of asking a question about solutions. Yeah. Yeah. So I I think that if we're going to answer the question about 
solutions, we have to answer the question of who benefits from something. Mm -hmm. And uh, so if mm. if you're talking to someone who is who might call themselves a market urbanist, uh, just someone who has like a sort of, you know, get rid of the obstacles to development perspective, the argument that they're making is that if you get rid of the obstacles to development, then you're going to lower rents and you're going to um, have more housing in proximity to to where uh, people want to be. Yeah, to yeah. where people want to be. Yeah. So more people are going to benefit from that. But they're not answering the question of who's going to benefit from that. More is not an answer to who, right? Mm. So lo lower rents can be lower in a region, but higher in downtown than they would have been otherwise, right? So when you have people who live in a location, they care. They they don't care what the average rent is in Seattle. They care about what the whether or not they can stay in the place in the neighborhood in the community that they live in. Mm -hmm. Whether there's a place in that community in the future for them to stay there, mm -hmm. and that's the that's the debate about gentrification, right? That's the question of like is are are we stopping gentrification? Is there a place for people to stay here in the future? Who have been here, right? Right. And so anyways, I think that the, the, the point is, if we're going to come up with a solution, it has the answer to that question. What is a solution? The answer has to be something that that has benefits that are beneficial to either the right people or everyone or something like mm -hmm. that. Right. And who are the right people? Yeah, that's a, that's exactly. a very important and politically dicey question that, you know has to get answered. Yes. And there are times, I know like Mike Maddox, when he ran for city mm -hmm. council, one of the things he said apparently, I wasn't there, but secondhand, he said was, uh, I don't think I'm your pork barrel guy. <laughs> right? I'm going to think about Seattle, not this... Systems. Yeah, yeah. not this uh, not this region, yeah. or not this um, district, you know. It's a good answer. It's, yeah, yeah. I think it got him some, some press. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, that's cool. So what do you guys have coming up? Like, what's the... Uh, like editorial agenda for the next couple months? Uh, so there's always a couple of different issues that we're working on. Uh, and, you know, there's the editorial team, which is making sure content comes out every day. Uh, and I'm, I'm not super involved in that. They do amazing volunteer work and are able to get content out every day from volunteers, which is incredible. But we all do it because we're interested in the politics and the politics of the situation that we're in right now are a, a little bit pessimistic. Personally, I feel like we're losing on transportation issues. And I don't know if you're familiar, but there's been a sort of cohesion amongst a bunch of different groups around advocating together. Uh, and they've formed a, a group called Move All Seattle Sustainably. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's an effort to sort of articulate clearly the transportation goals of people who paid a lot of attention to this that we need to achieve over the next, you know, three years, essentially. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of momentum behind that right now. So that's going to be a, a pretty big focus of our group, um, writing about those issues, advocating, that sort of thing. Getting people... Actually educated to, edge. yeah, yeah. One Engage. of the things that we've talked about with some other guests as well is just that there is a kind of, uh, it, it, there's an imaginary Amazon employee who is actually super kind of progressive, loves the city, wants to help, maybe feels a little attacked by some of the rhetoric mm -hmm. around gentrification, even though he she knows they're doing it. Yeah, yeah, uh, you know, and could really benefit to be, or could really benefit 
themselves, but could also benefit the kind of broader movement around urbanization to be brought into kind of education around how they can help, yep. what how they can get involved and how they can actually make sustainable transport, more housing supply, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Engaging those, it's a huge effort, uh, ground game, getting people engaged. Mm-hmm. Uh, after this, sure is, yeah. I'm meeting with a potential volunteer. So, Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> you know, that's, that's this, you just kind of grind away at it. It's like somebody says, I'm interested in this. How can I plug you into what we're doing? Mm-hmm. Um, and make them a, a better citizen engaged yeah. in their community. Yeah. So yeah, there's a huge opportunity there with people who are coming to the city. So transportation right now is a huge focus because uh, we're going to take down the viaduct. We're going to face a period of what we're calling a period of maximum constraint, yep. uh, which is basically going to mean that traffic is going to be terrible. and Like everywhere. Everywhere. It's going to be bad every day, everywhere. And it's not just going to affect people sitting in their single occupancy vehicles. If you want to ride the bus, you're going to be, your bus is going to be stuck behind cars who are clogging intersections yep. and yep. It, it's, it's going to be bad. And there is no plan right now to, to solve this. Uh, none of our plans are commensurate with the need right now. And it, I think it was Rahm Emanuel who said, never, never waste a good disaster. Exactly. So, yeah. So, so what's the plan? I mean, is the idea to, to, to emphasize look at what's going on in our city. Now is the time for a better transit plan and put that in everyone's face. Is that the kind of the, the plan here? If I were, if I were uh, leading the city, I would seize the moment. I would do that. But I, that, that it does not seem to be the intention of mm. the people who are making decisions right now. So it remains to be seen whether or not enough pressure can be put on them to make that happen. So the outside groups have to kind of push yeah, that. Absolutely. Yeah. How can people get involved? So I think that every um, every day there's an opportunity to get involved, and the stupidest, simplest answer is when politicians are thinking about doing something, it makes a difference to write them an email or to call their office or to show up at a meeting and get and tell them personally what you think mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. that. It seems pointless because doesn't seem like you're going to make a difference when you do that. But what we're seeing right now in Seattle is a tiny group of people who are having a backlash to the head tax or homelessness. Or or the ADUs too. Or ADUs. Tiny group of people with a huge impact from that stuff. And so it matters, even if you're a small group of people, to show up and, and voice your opinion. And there's continuously opportunities to do that. It's something that we advertise on The Urbanist. So if you read The Urbanist, you'll see opportunities to go comment on stuff. If you feel like you're someone who is more engaged, ready to spend more time on this stuff, there are tons of great groups that are always looking for volunteers. We're always looking for people who are willing to write, which is great. Uh, if you want to write for The Urbanist, get a hold of me. But some great advocacy groups, uh, Transit Writers Union has done some amazing work over the last uh, year and a half. It's worth getting involved in. It's easy to get involved with them if that's something that you want to do. Basically, they're going to ask you to show up at stuff, say what you think, yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah. And then I, I can't recommend enough uh, Seattle Subway as well. They do, it's winter season now, so they probably won't do as much, but they do. Uh, grassroots reach out 
almost weekly where they go talk to people on the street about how to make a better transportation system. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not for everyone, but no, it's so the groundwork that needs to be done. Some to... people don't like to be out in the group, but others can handle it just yeah. fine. So yeah. you got it. Well, hey, we end every segment, we end every show with a segment we call If You Care About, You Should. Fill in the blanks. Yeah. So I think if you care about the housing crisis, the transportation crisis, or the climate crisis, these are huge crises facing us. You need to get involved with a local advocacy organization that's working on these. The change is going to come from the outside, mm-hmm. not from people who are in power right now. And I strongly recommend going and volunteering. Uh, you can volunteer with the urbanist. Get a hold of me personally. I'd be happy to get a coffee with you. <laughs> Guys, <laughs> take this opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Or, uh, you know, lots. If if urbanism's not your thing, get involved with one of the transit organizations as well. Mm-hmm. Great. Owen, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah. That was Owen Pickford at The Urbanist. Check them out at theurbanist.org. It's a pretty cool organization doing a bunch of really great writing and education on just making this city a better place. Owen, their executive director, was a great conversationalist, as you heard, and uh you know, he's looking for talent and volunteers over there. Hit him up at owen at theurbanist.org. That's how I did it. I'm sure he'd love to have you. This has been, as always, a Cascadia Underground production. Thanks to the subcons and Anthony McPherson. My favorite. And I am your host, Ian Martinez. We'll see you next week.